you're probably aware that this fall we are exploring what it means to participate in a community like Vox. So if you've been with us these past few weeks or watching online, uh, we started out by looking back at the story of Vox, where we've come from. We looked at a variety of ways that we've participated in patterns of goodness over the years of nearly two decades together, ways we've participated in authentic connection and what we call this covenant of belonging, where we are practicing learning more about ourselves and authentically knowing and being known, loving and being loved in every age and at every season. And we also looked at ways we've participated in patterns of harm, like racism and gentrification, and how we stayed too long in a denomination that did not support our, L our LGBTQ siblings. And repentance and telling the truth about ourselves and engaging that harm has also been an important part of our ongoing story. So as we are exploring what it means to be a church together, we're looking at both sides of that question. What does it mean to participate in dismantling harm? And what does it mean to participate in co-creating authentic goodness? And then two weeks ago, Waylon helped us reflect on liturgy, the work of the people, this very comforting weekly rhythm we have of gathering together over coffee and healing words where we're invited to all help out by greeting one another and reading prayers and serving communion and caring for children. And where we're helping one another learn how to not be overboundaried on one hand or overworked on the other. And then last week, Christopher introduced this idea that we're members of one body. He reminded us that we live in a culture that celebrates stars, but when one athlete is outshining the rest of the team, the whole team suffers. And so we need this freedom to develop our individual passions while also being deeply rooted in the well-being of the collective. So participation is one of our Vox values. And today we're going to be exploring a particular aspect of how we think about participation here at Vox. We are welcomed and we welcome one another as co-creators to become the hands and feet of Christ for one another. So picture with me this sort of bizarre image of the body of Christ with many limbs. This image is rooted in our text for today from Romans that we're going to look at in a moment. But before we turn there, I'd like to ask you to try something with me. And you can say yes or no to this. But if you're willing, would you pair up with someone near you and invite them to look at your hands? So it could be someone next to you, it could be someone in front of you or behind you, but if you're willing, you can keep your hands on your lap or hold them out in front of you, palms up or face down, it doesn't matter. Take a moment, and after the initial awkwardness passes, <laughs> If someone is inviting you to see their hands, take a moment and really take in what they're showing you. So I'm going to give you a second. Decide how you want to do this. And now sink into this moment. Look at their fingers, the contour. Notice the lines and creases. 
how are their hands different or similar to yours? Okay, wonderful, wonderful. All right, so if somebody near you was trusting you with their hands, give them a word of thanks. Just thank them for trusting you. <laughs> and um, what was that like? So in a word or a phrase, is there like a feeling word that captures some of what that was like for you to view somebody else's hands, to have someone else view yours? Just call it out. What was that like? Sweet. What else? Story. There is a story in their hands. Lovely. Similar. What else? Connection. Good. Yeah, it can be very intimate to have someone invite you to uh, learn something about themselves. And also for most of us, it's a pretty mixed experience having someone else notice us in our embodied self, in all of our uniqueness. So the big question we're going to be exploring today is this. What does it mean for our unique individual bodies to then participate in the larger body of Christ together? So I'll ask you to hold that question in mind with me as we look now at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, where we read this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, siblings, on the basis of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, your reasonable act of worship. So for many of us who know the scriptures, the word sacrifice brings to mind a lamb. Paul writes to the Corinthians, for Christ, your Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So to understand what it might mean for us to become sacrifices, it might help us to go back and reflect on the meaning of the original Passover. Passover was this moment in the story of Exodus when God rescued the Hebrew people from their oppressors. And in this story, we learn something about who God is. God listens to the cries of the victim. And here at Vox, we are aware that the oppressor is also a victim. The enslaver is also enslaved, although with power to do great harm. And so we understand this to be the heart of the story of Christ, that God's hands are always working to loosen those knots inside us, so that we can all experience greater freedom together. So think with me what it might mean then for us to become living reminders of that moment in Exodus where God came to the Hebrew people and said this, I've heard your cries and I'm coming to free you. This month is to be for you the month. So tell the whole community on the 10th day, take a lamb for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with your neighbor. Determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. And the animals you choose must be without defect. Now, on the 14th day, slaughter all the lambs at twilight, and then take some of the blood and put it on the door frames of the houses where you will eat the meat inside, roasted over a fire. Do not leave any till morning. And this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste, for this is the Lord's Passover. So our Jewish siblings remember this story every time they celebrate the Passover. They tell this story with their bodies. They become living reminders to one another. God listens to the cries of the victim. 
And so notice that the killing of the lamb, it's not the essential ritual in this story. That is simply what would have been the normal Friday night event to feed the family. It would have happened any week of that year. What made this night's lamb symbolic was how the ritual of choosing it and saving it and preparing it all together at twilight and then marking the doors of each household to make sure everyone was accounted for and everyone eating it all at the same time inside by the fire, that got a million and a half people safely gathered together, fed, and ready to move as one body on foot the moment God God arrived that night to set them free. And in this story, that's the lamb's function. So with that in mind, let's connect for just a moment with what it feels in the body to live under oppression, either external or internal. And now let's imagine God saying to all of us here in East Austin, listen, this month is to be for you the month. On the 10th day, take a bag of coffee beans, one for each household. And if any house is too small for a whole bag, share with your neighbor, taking into account how much each person will drink. The beans you choose must be without defect, roasted to perfection. And on the 14th day, grind all your beans together at twilight. Then take some of the coffee grounds and spread them on the door frames of your houses where you will drink the coffee inside beside the fire. Do not leave any till morning, and this is how you are to drink it, fully clothed, running shoes on your feet, backpack in hand. Drink it in haste, for this is God's night to free you. So in the words of our beloved Terry and John, who remembers him, now my Vox peoples. Celebrate this story with your morning coffee. Let's tell this story with our bodies, presenting ourselves as sacrifices like coffee grounds spread over the door frames of the oppressed among us, living reminders to one another that God listens to the victim's cries. And let's also listen to those places inside us that are crying out, that are victimized, And when we are tempted to reach for the knife, to kill off some essential part of us, may we also hear God's voice saying, no, I don't desire that kind of sacrifice. I want all of you to live. Our text continues with this. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and holy and perfect. A few years ago, I learned something interesting about this word discernment. It's the root of it is related to the process that bankers go through to learn how to distinguish counterfeit money from real money. And they learn to do that not by studying all the ways that money can be faked, but by studying the real And when it comes to matters of the spirit, we learn what is real through the body. So that's the heart of the story of Christ's birth, that God came to us in a body like ours. The incarnation is God's love letter to your body. And there has never been a body exactly like yours before. 
Your body is a reflection of the goodness of God's creation in this moment, as unrepeatable as a sunset or a coral reef or the Milky Way. Look, look at God's goodness reflected in Anna's eyes and Tom and his walk and Aaron and her smile and her braids and Ben and his voice and Elena and her smile. Friends, what makes your body unique and unlike anyone else's? That question may point toward your unique form of participation in a body like Vox. When I think about what makes my body unique, it's not just that my hair is graying in a really weird pattern. It's, it's also a really unique and authentic way of how I'm wired is my sensitivity. And you may know something of what this is like, but I feel what other people are feeling in my body with a high degree of accuracy. Like, uh, when I think of the accuracy, have you seen that, the movie Zero Dark Thirty? Do you remember this scene where they are sitting around a table and they're looking for Bin Laden and the men are saying like, 80% he's there, 60% he's there, soft 60. And then Maya says, 100% he's there. Okay, 95 because certainty freaks y'all out, but it's 100. That's the kind of accuracy with which my body is tuned in to the emotions of others most of the time. And I used to hate that about myself. It felt like a design flaw, like it was overwhelming. I didn't know what to do with all that information and it plagued me. And it was here in this community that I found friends that felt safe enough to start speaking about this problem that I have where I'm feeling what other people are feeling all the time and I can't shut it off. And those friends said, yeah, we kind of know that about you. Like, and it's a, it's a beautiful part of you. And I was like, it might kill me. And they were like, how can we help? And so it was here through this community that I began to learn how to not just kill that part of me off, but how to discern how to use it well, like how to dial it up or down as needed and how to offer it as one of my unique forms of participating in this community, this body. so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and holy and perfect. So Vox, how can we help one another discern who we authentically are and what is the goodness of God's creation reflected in each one of us? For not all members of the body have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I'll end with this. It's hard to live in a body. If our bodies were houses, it's rarely the case that our house feels amazing inside. Like, it's the perfect temperature and everything smells good. And 
our favorite song is playing in the background and it's peaceful, but there's our loved ones are nearby if we want them. That's not what living in our bodies is like most of the time. Most days, this house we call our body is barely habitable. <laughs> Parts of us are trying to just do good work and like be kind to people. And then meanwhile, we're like, what is that smell? And like, how do I get this song out of my head? We're like, whose voice is yelling at me? Oh, that's my voice. <laughs> it's hard having a body, and there may not be a whole lot we can do to help one another change what that feels like to live inside our individual bodies. But shall we give it a try? Let's see if this helps. Hey. They call me Hell. They call me Stacy. They call me Hell. They call me Jane. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. <laughs> you probably won't have the same song stuck in your head now. So, you're welcome. Apart from that, though, they're really may not be a whole lot we can do to help each other change what it feels like to live inside our bodies. But by participating in a community like Vox, over time, through the ups and downs, our bodies will change. And if we're participating in goodness together, our bodies will discern the difference. For we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. Friends, none of us enters adulthood intact, whole. Parts of our collective body are missing due to death or loss or separation, and parts of ourselves are missing. Parts we either felt like we had to cut off or kill or sacrifice, or parts that were amputated from us by someone else. And at the sight of an amputation, a patient will often uh, feel excruciating pain at the sight of the missing limb. But when someone with, say, only one arm looks in the mirror at their existing arm, and then if a therapist massages that existing arm, their brain can feel as if the phantom limb is receiving relief. And that's incredible. But what's really fascinating is doctors then realize we don't even need the mirror. Like if another person comes and puts their arm there, if I perceive you receiving comfort, my brain can receive comfort just by watching you receive comfort. The person who first shared that research with me said something that I'll never forget. He said, we're not just similes, we can be metaphors for each other. Like, your body is not just like my body, your body can be my body, and vice versa, in a way that honors both our individuality and our interconnectedness. And that's perhaps a helpful way to think about what it means to participate in a body like Vox, becoming the hands and feet of Christ for one another. And this is the covenant we're invited into that we're inviting you to participate with us in, to celebrate the goodness of God's creation 
in each one of us. And may we ask your permission, if we see your hand reaching for the knife to kill off some essential part of you, will you allow us to gently place our hand on yours and say, wait, what if you allow that part to live? And let's just discover together how even the parts of you you may want to discard, especially those parts, those two are a reflection of God's goodness in you. I'll leave with one final image. Uh, last week, I dropped our daughter Gracie off at college at the University of Oregon. And whew, someone once said, sending your kids off into the world is like your heart walking around outside your chest. And that's, that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, this is Gracie on the right devouring Tiffany's daughter's ear, uh, Syra. In the days leading up to Grace leaving, I was so aware of her embodied self, like the color of her hair, her favorite food. Uh, we went to a, a movie and I was distracted because you know how sometimes your kids just smell like themselves? It's like this delicious, it's like the scent of the top of their heads when they're infants that never goes away. And I was just so aware that her body was about to be 2,000 miles away. So I took a whole week off in Oregon to drop her off. And parents came and left. And I was like, still at my hotel if you need anything. <laughs> I'm just down the road. And I made that week like the slowest, most gentlest goodbye possible. By the end, she was like, Mom, I have things to do. Like, go home. <laughs> but... Uh, on maybe the second or third night, we were texting about dinner plans, and she said, Mom, I don't know what's happening, but they're making us all leave the dorm and walk across town. And about a half hour later, sure enough, I looked out, and there were these herds of kids, like 75 or 100 at a time, moving slowly through the streets of Eugene. It was like a scene out of Exodus. I was like, where could they possibly all be going? <laughs> And evidently, this is the tradition each year. After freshman move-in, the, the whole class is herded through downtown over a bridge and across a river to the stadium where they take this photo. And I asked Gracie afterward, what was that like standing that close to 5,000 other freshmen? And she said, that was not the hard part. She said the hard part was moving from campus to the stadium in such large masses because we had to move so slowly so that no one was trampled and no one was left behind. And I thought, yes, that's what it's like. That's what it feels like when we're individually members of one another, when we're participating in helping one another hold on to and find and resurrect essential parts of us because your whole self is essential to who we're becoming together. That's the goodness we're invited to participate in, to become the hands and feet of Christ, living reminders of who God is, a story told through our own unique and individual bodies. So please pray with me. God, who comes to us in the smoke of meat and the smell of coffee, who knows every line and crease on our hands and the hands who have hurt us. God, who knows it's hard to live in a body because you lived in a body.
loosen the knots binding our feet and give us time to find our running shoes. In the name of God who liberates, Christ who opens the door, and the Spirit who whispers, run. (laughs) Amen.